Well, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I say it every week, but we really do appreciate you guys tuning in and taking this podcast wherever you're heading. And on that note, this episode was recorded on the lands of the Wadarung people. I'd like to extend my respects to the traditional custodians on the lands wherever you take our podcast. Now, this week's guest is a fellow who, God, he was hard to track down. I tell you, he travels so much, it was annoying. Is a bloke by the name of Callan Daly. Now, Callan's only 24 years old. He's ticked off a whole lot so far. He's a business development lead for a company called MEQ Probe. And so far this year, he's travelled to various parts of Australia, over to New Zealand a couple of times, I think, over to America. Basically, what they're doing as a business, they're looking at ways to measure meat eating quality in meat. It's going pretty well for them. But interestingly for Callan, he's someone who grew up on the farm, went off to boarding school and actually was really fascinated and interested about city life. And, well, he pursued it for a little while before the chance came to return back to the family farm. Kind of coming full circle, he threw his hat in the ring, became an Evoke Ag future young leader in 2019, a little while ago. And I guess you could say the rest is history. From that event, packed up his bags five days later, headed down to Adelaide, I think it was. And now, well, he's back in Brizzy, but he's certainly taking the world by storm and he's one to watch in agriculture. So he's absolutely a next-gen trailblazer. Let's get into it. Well, Cullen, I reckon we just jump straight into it. You're one of the most well-traveled people, definitely the most well-traveled young person in Australian agriculture, I reckon. You've, you've at least got overseas. So I think I've been covering and just checking on little parts of Australia, but been a big, big start first few months of the year for you. Where have you been and what's been happening? Oh, I think you definitely beat me locally, Ollie, just trying to keep up with your frequent flyer miles within Australia. What's been happening on my end has just been just business as usual, trying to grow a startup ag technology company into a global player, which I know we were just saying earlier is a five to 10 year game, maybe 15 as well. So yeah, just trying to keep that rolling, trying to get New Zealand uh, into the game and excited about quality meat as well. So that's been where my last couple of months have been focused in, bit of San Fran, bit of New Zealand, bit of Australia. Where's been your favorite place, favorite conference or favorite place in the world that you've been in the last few months? Oh, the vineyards of New Zealand are pretty hard to beat, I think. Having a little afternoon uh, work trip down to a nice red wine vineyard, uh, pretty hard to pass up. Must be nice. God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a work benefit sometimes come into play, not often. But yeah, I think compared to, I think San Fran is a bit dirtier and smellier than the clean rolling green hills of New Zealand. So I'd, I'd have to say New Zealand rates up there with my favorite recently. And so I've only ever been to America once. And when I went to San Fran, the whole bridge was covered in fog. Could you at least say it? Yeah, we could see the bridge. Part of it was under construction, but I don't know. It was just a it was just a red bridge, to be honest. I found the other bridge on the other side of San Fran a bit more impressive engineering wise. I could see the appeal, but not completely why it was on postcards everywhere. Not not it didn't really live up to its hype. <laughs> I reckon the most mesmerizing thing there and fascinating is just the streets like I think you just go for a bit of a drive around. You certainly wouldn't go for a ride or a walk. Like, it is the steepest place in the world. Yeah, it's all over the shop, to be honest. Uh, I, I can imagine all the uh, tech gurus running around there on their bikes trying to figure out how to get from an office to an office with all their bikes. It's probably why they invented e-bikes, probably because of San Francisco, just to get you up hills a bit easier. The segways never really took off, did they? 
No, I think they're still just only used by a few tour guides here and there, and that's it, isn't it? A few mall cops or, or whatever they call them in America. <laughs> I think so. I like how you've just dropped in the little engineering analogy, and I think that's something we'll come to. It's obviously something you still are a little bit fascinated by. <laughs> but you're a farm kid who has now ended up in what is a really exciting ag tech business. But like for you going through high school, the chats we've had, like I know obviously hugely intelligent and was that interest in agriculture there or what were the influences and I guess the options for you, Callan? No, no, it's grown. Uh, the interest in agriculture has grown for sure. I've always had it in the background, but I've said it before, drought and harsh living conditions growing up as a kid aren't exactly the most appealing ways to foster an interest into an industry coming from that. So I think it was kind of destined to happen going into high school that agriculture or going back onto the farm was a pretty dreary expectation or dreary thought to have as a, you know, especially 12 year old going to boarding school, you're looking back at what's happening on the farm and, and it's pretty, pretty hard living. And then you, you're in Brisbane and everyone's pretty happy go lucky and you wouldn't even know that, uh, you know, anything was happening out in regional Australia. So yeah, it, it was definitely a challenge having to overcome that as a kid going through school. It, yeah, I had to re- reignite it and it wasn't intentionally reignited. It just kind of happened naturally, which is a shame because I feel like a lot of people don't. It doesn't happen naturally and it kind of falls short and they move on and that part of their life's off in the distance behind them. So, yeah, that's why I spent a fair bit of energy trying to encourage people to at least uh, not let it just happen naturally, try and force it a little bit more than that. That's interesting. Tell me a little bit more about that, like as in why, like you've mentioned the drought and whatnot, but that passion fading, was there other influences as well? No, I think that had a lot to do with it. It helped. Honestly, though, it helped that my parents were always very encouraging of both my brother and I to go and explore other options. I think that's a very open-minded way to approach having, you know, children in agriculture need to go and broaden their life experiences a little bit more away from the farm. I think most of the really amazing and interesting and successful people out there within agriculture, some of them don't even come from a background in agriculture. And it really helps to go and get some experience outside of it. I'm not knocking being on a farm your whole life because I think that's amazing as well. I think you'll be the most knowledgeable person you'll ever be on a farm. But that doesn't help you know how the rest of the world operates and kind of the world spins around. So, no, I I think harsh living conditions and the appeal of big city, meeting everyone's parents who are lawyers and doctors and engineers was a, you know, that's an appealing thing for a farm kid to go into and, and see these opulent and different lifestyles they lead. They're not slaving away out and breaking bones, just trying to keep cattle around on a station. They were living a very different life would be a, and sometimes, you know, grass is always green on the other side, so it can look better than it is, of course. On this point, was there someone you met in Brisbane or or like a family you got to know that really shaped that interest in engineering? I I wouldn't be able to point to a specific family on the engineering side. I think I think the engineering came from really the school influence of being successful at maths, being at least literate and good at chemistry and you know your science fields, those STEM fields. So that was a push from the school to then pursue engineering because they said, hey, you fit these three check boxes, you should go and do engineering. I actually suggested that I would go and try science and then I got told by a careers counsellor that you will never get a job just being in science, so you need to go and do a dual degree that has science and something else. And I was like, well, what else? And she said engineering. So that's kind of where engineering led me. I had families that I was close with in Brisbane that was yeah on the law side and living different lifestyles that I'd never seen before. You know, you go to Brisbane after 5 p.m., 
everyone had their own kind of hobbies and things that they were doing that were totally unrelated to their work lifestyle. And I hadn't really seen or experienced that too much, you know, living on on farms. It was rare for there to be something that was not farm related after 5pm. It's not like we had a 5pm deadline ever. Pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. So you headed off to uni. You followed that career's advice. It's amazing how influential careers counsellors can be, isn't it? <laughs> oh, shocking at points. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I could imagine. The poor lady that spoke to me, I hope I haven't downed her over the last couple of years too much, over, but luckily no names have been thrown around. You might find yourself in trouble. No, but like, and I think it's it's funny, isn't it? Like when it comes to these careers advice, I think that like they, they do really shape decisions, but it's merely like this expectation that we throw on them that they're an oracle of understanding absolutely everything. I think that's where like, for us and other people, say, in various industries and, and roles, like how are you involving and helping work with those career counsellors, et cetera, so actually have a, a genuine understanding of what happens? Yeah, no, you, you're spot on. There was absolutely no reason this poor woman had probably never heard of the careers and openings within agriculture that, that if she had have known, she might have looked at the boxes that I was ticking and think, hey, hang on a minute, there are differences here in the path that engineering that I'm pointing towards or potentially something along agricultural engineering or something was more based into agricultural. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a really good point that we place too much of an onus on them sometimes when, as an industry, we also don't promote ourselves to them and educate them about how they can point young people towards us. Absolutely. And I was going to say, like, what I find so interesting is that from Mark, the ag tech startup I was involved in, we were fully building an iPhone app. But when I was in year 10 at high school, that was when the iPhone was first released. Within two years, no one really had it. I didn't have one until I was like two years out of school. And then within six years of leaving school, you're working in an ag tech startup that's using an iPhone that didn't exist seven years earlier. It's incredible the rate of technology, I'm sure, the things that, that you see. But I am interested. So at what stage did you fall back into agriculture and how did it come about? Yeah, I think it it definitely grew probably leading into the last year or two of school as I was opening my eyes to what was the pathway into university and how does that path actually, what does it look like? What are the steps you need to follow? That's where the suggestion of gap years, you know, always came forward and it kept coming forward. And my brother did one. I had a lot of good family friends and influences around me that promoted gap years and also spoke really highly of them. So coming out of school, I was just barely 17 and it did seem ridiculous even to someone my age that I would be going off and starting a a paid degree in something that was going to shape the rest of my life at such a young age was just a bit a bit weird. It didn't really click for me. So yeah, Gaffy was where it started for sure. I went and worked with an amazing family outside of Gundawindi and it was cropping in cattle station and just loved it. And I think that would have had a pretty big impact on the next 18 months after that while I was at university in kind of sidetracking my brain on, oh, you know, just getting a bit more distracted when doing this engineering work was more thinking about how fun that was back on the farm. So, you know, how interesting. I think going into cropping was fantastic for me because I was always a little bit of sheep, but I was a beef boy. So seeing what cropping did and just the sheer difference in that and the workload and the brains and everything behind it was just fascinating. Even though I, th- I thought I knew agriculture and then you go and see one other little aspect of agriculture that there's thousands of them out there and all of a sudden my mind was blown. So I thought that was probably a bit of an impact on letting me know that, hey, agriculture is not just beef here and it's also not just cropping and it's also not just horticulture. It's There's a lot of other stuff out there and you, you'd even just see, I think some of those tractors were the most advanced machines that I'd been on in 
in beef production, we don't exactly use the most advanced machinery. So seeing what they were doing in tractors was pretty incredible. Yeah, the TVs and iPads and everything else. They don't even have to watch what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, fringes. <laughs> yeah, having your lunch heated up out there is also a nice bonus as well. <laughs> well, I know from understanding a little bit of your story, there's a there's a real turning point through a folk agriculture. But before that, you're an engineering student. When did you fall back into the industry and I guess start this professional career side? It was definitely when I was having multiple attempts at a maths course at university that should have been a layup and I was just flunking it out of it felt I think by the second or third time it was just spite yeah I was I was going well on other things and I was just not enjoying this heavy theoretical maths course that I was doing and I was obviously it was obvious to myself and those around me as well that I was wasting a bit of time just keeping paying and trying something that wasn't exciting me and getting me out of bed in the morning. So it was also good timing, uh, or f- not good, but fortunate timing at, at that point that my parents needed a bit of a hand at home. It was obvious that I had a direction shift coming that was just being indicated by the fact I wasn't enjoying or, or excited by the the work within engineering or the study within engineering. So there was it was definitely time for me. I was planning on a six month break at that point and just knocked off in the middle of the semester and just decided to go and head home and help mum and dad and learn a bit more about the business as well back at home. Because you know, I hadn't lived at home since I was twelve. So it was a good chance for me to just go and figure out what they were doing back then. What was it like as an I'll say a young adult returning back and living with your parents? Well, it was good. It's not exactly like I had a uh, a very strong idea of what it was to live with my parents since boarding school was such a such a long time, and then college and gap year and everything like that. So it was good. <laughs> we clash heads here and there, I think, as most kids and parents do. But overall, <laughs> like really good to see how I could apply my knowledge, even my knowledge from a young as a young kid growing up, how I could apply that as a young adult, and how. That knowledge became quite useful for my parents. They're very used to having trained people up from ground zero. And I think it was just helpful for them to have someone that had spent time around their business, even if it was at a young age. If you had your time again there, what would you do the same? What would you do differently? On the farm? Yeah. Going back there from the moment you walked back in, made the decision. Oh, that's a really good question. I think I would, oh, I'd probably try and dig deeper into the nitty-gritty logistics of how do people run complex family farm businesses and how does that logistically work? What are the financials like? How do you run that on the accounting side? How do you, I'm not going to knock myself up about it because I was 19 years old and that doesn't really excite you at that age, but um, yeah, how to run it is really, I guess, gets me more interested these days and knowing more and more about how my parents got what they did and how they built the stations that they've got. That's always, especially as a young person, you figure out eventually that you need to know those things if you want to actually go and do it yourself. You can't just rely on people to hand it to you. So, yeah, I'd probably go back and change up a little bit of that and overall had an amazing time. So I, I wouldn't really change too much, to be honest. And throwing your hat in the ring, you'd obviously grown up around agriculture, but I guess in the scheme of things, going away for boarding school and whatnot, like you we hadn't spent a lot of time around the industry. You threw your hat in the ring and made definitely over the last few years quite a bold statement about how agriculture portrays itself and how we, the self-talk really of the industry at of OCAG in 2020. Is that right? 19? Nin- 19, yeah. There you go. A few years ago now. 
what was it? What like why did you actually apply to get involved in that program? What spurred you on to do it? I think there were a few factors. It's it's funny when you look back at your life and you kind of see, and I say that as if I'm bloody aging, but <laughs> still got a few years I hope left. But no, I think it's interesting when you look back and you see these innocent causations or casualties of how everything ends up lining up. I don't want to sound philosophical or anything like that, but I look back across my life and there's just a little pyramid of things that have built up layers and layers until you get to a a specific outcome like a Vogag. There was a pyramid of things that led to that on applying myself into other programs through Haywire and that's an ABC program and a few other youth style programs across the board. I think it didn't even matter if they were agriculturally related. It was kind of just you would bump shoulders with people that could help get your, I guess you'd almost like connect the dots for you, especially as a young person. And I luckily had those connections or I had people that were willing to help me connect the dots. And that led me to a stage where I got nudged to apply for a Vogue by people within the ABC program. And they suggested that would be a good way for me to just also explore some other options. It was agriculture related. They knew I was passionate about it or at least gaining that passion. Yeah, I think that probably also helps that I'd updated and kept those people in the loop of where I was at. If they had have known me five years before that point, they wouldn't have recommended me for it. So again, just innocent casualities of just how it's like little random atoms just going and bumping into each other and then all of a sudden you've got someone nudging you on the shoulder and saying you should do it. So yeah, I think it just led me to that point. And then I I almost didn't apply and it was the day before and I was just content to just keep going at home and I didn't think what I had to say was worth it. And then I got a stern word from a family friend of mine actually who said come on, pull your ass together and uh, go and give it a try. So I did and I got it together in a day and put it through and the rest is history really. That was four and a, four and a half years ago. Had you talked like to that family friend, had you talked to them about the idea of what you were thinking of talking about or you just kind of floated the idea of this is a program, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, they had no, there was no incentive or reason for them to really nudge me as well as hard as they did. It was just them being... I think they understood a lot more about it than I did at the point. They could read a bit deeper into it. And I'd mentioned what I was looking at and I ran some ideas by them that I was looking to talk about at at Evoke or as part of my application to Evoke. And they obviously saw a bigger opportunity there, or at least they saw something in me, hopefully, that led them to say, no, you should definitely give it a go. I'd have to actually go back and ask them on what exactly led them to... I've never asked that question, which is something I should, on, on why did they feel so strongly about me uh, giving it a crack into a program. Also, Evoke, was a, it was the first year of Evoke. It was a program that hadn't even been out there before. There was no known chartered territory for them to be making that decision off. So very interesting. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website 
at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. It is. And for you, like that, it was a pretty important week. Obviously, you had the chat, but this is where the opportunity with MEQ Probe came up from a chance conversation. Yeah, literally, as most, I feel like a lot of conversations do over a beer, that's where the opportunity with MEQ came about. And yeah, chatting to the previous CEO and of MEQ, that was just led me to packing up shop five days after Melbourne and making my way down to Adelaide to start work within five days of Evoke. So it was a pretty quick turnaround. And again, you just look back at that and it was just kind of a casual conversation over a beer at a table uh, and all of a sudden in the moment you don't see that linkage but then you look back and you see it all kind of line up. Did you go into there thinking, oh, I'm going to try and get myself a job out of this, like I'm not ready to stay at home? Yeah, I went in with the idea that absolute best case scenario, I would meet someone that was at least semi-interested in involving me or keeping me in mind for a role within agri-technology or agri-innovation. To be honest, not even agri-technology, just something that was innovating within agriculture. I did not expect to have a job out of it. I did not expect to have anyone fully commit to any form of interest either. I just thought I really undershot and underestimated what I could get out of a vote for sure, but I was just hoping for someone to be, yeah, at least show some form of interest in helping me learn about agri-innovation. And yeah, obviously I got a lot more than that out of the conference. And um, I don't know if it helped actually that I underestimated what it was going into there. I don't know if it actually made my expectations a bit lower, which which meant that it was a lot easier for me to be open to a myriad of different opportunities coming out of there. Yeah, I can't really point to a specific reason. And as we fast forward to today, what are you, 24, 25, and traveling the world, chatting with leading agribusinesses about this technology. What, am I right, 24, 25? 24, still. There you go. Mate, it's actually insane. Do you like pinch yourself and think, holy shit, I could have been back home working on the farm, but here I am in the last three months, been to San Fran across Australia, New Zealand, and wherever else you've been? Yeah, I'd pinch myself and think I could have had more of a hairline, I think. Potentially, actually, no, it could have been worse actually going on the farm. I'm not sure there's a pretty high level of stress through there, but yeah, no, absolutely. You can always, yeah, you can always look at the hindsight and start thinking about what could have been and what should have been. And uh, I don't know, it's actually it's actually not an area that I lend much time to often, if at all, because you know, whatever happens, happens. And looking back, you can learn from it, but it's not about, yeah, it doesn't always feel like I'm 24. It just feels like I'm at a stage in life of or in, in the business that, that makes sense. Sometimes age comes into it, but not often, I think, yeah. But I heard the, um, the hairlines because of that year and a half of the freaking engineering degree. That one mathematics subject. <laughs> that could have been it. Bloody Math 1051. That, that, uh, <laughs> I might have to take them up on that one, actually, yeah. Stats A had me like that, too. I think that was third time lucky, and it wasn't even that hard. Thought I worked out in the end. Yeah, but you've, you've come off not too bad, not too damaged by it, so you'll be all right. Yeah, no, just going grey instead. Not reflecting back, that interests me because one thing which I acknowledge I'm not very good at and even for us as a, as a little business we're not very good at, is celebrating the wins. And it's amazing how not looking back and reflecting, yes, it can be beneficial from a, oh, we'll just keep momentum going forwards. Have you caught yourself like in that scenario and have you addressed it or is it something which isn't on the radar? 
No, it's on the radar for sure. You know, it's very coincidental and weird timing actually as of even the start of this week was a time that I caught myself and I and it's also this and I'm talking within business here, but I, I realized last late last week, looking back at the last two months or even the last four weeks of what we'd been doing as a business, I realized that we'd had some incredible achievements that when you're operating at the speed that you can in a small startup business, you can just fly past them. Like they're great and you're on a high for about maybe an afternoon after <laughs> securing a deal or getting an installation done, but uh, it, you move on pretty quick. I pulled myself up on it. I actually pulled another, I bespoke with another member of the team and straight away early this week kind of tried to reconcile a little bit of that and sent a message out to the entire company about listing all of our achievements that we've gotten in the last few months and what it meant for the company and what it meant for our future going forward. And also just who had helped, well, everyone had helped, but essentially letting everyone know that they were a big a big player within a pretty small company. So absolutely, the pulling myself up, I have to, um, It's I'm still not perfect at it for sure. And some damage can be done if you really let it go longer than you should. There's a period of time where you realize that after a few months, it's too late and you have to be better at it going forward for sure. So I, I know I need to be better, definitely. Oh, I used to have the funniest thing. Like It was when I was living in Sydney because we I was there for two years and I guess that was like quite a pivotal time for humans of agriculture because we had that first year of lockdown and then kind of the second year of juggling. But when it started off, every little win we got, one mate, Munro Hardy, and we'd go and have, even if it was just one beer, that was like the little ritual. And it's funny, in the last few weeks, we've been really lucky to win and yeah, establish some partnerships, which are our biggest, which is so exciting for us kind of going forwards. And realized like chatting with the team, it was like, guys, we haven't even acknowledged that. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And you say that it is, you just get so hell bent on keeping the wheels moving forward. So you don't even think you can stop for a little bit. Yeah. And I think it doesn't help that the wheels get bigger. You've got to keep the wheels moving forward, but the wheels are so much bigger and you got to, you feel like you got to push them so much harder that even those big wins, they just feel like they're another part of it. Even though 12 months ago, you would have thrown a small party to just celebrate that specific win. Absolutely. For sure. Tell me this, because you guys work in a remote, like in a remote team and we're trying to work it out. What's a little ritual? Because like I'll say, I've seen it in businesses where they've got like a bell, which they'll ring when they get a sale or something exciting happens. Have you got any ideas for rituals that we could bring into humans of agriculture when we have a, a little or a big win? Especially for for a remote team or for a, for a team that's based, yeah. Sure. I've just got the party parrot, which is my like thing on Slack, which is just that like bubble-headed thing just dancing around. I don't know if that cuts it though. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I know sometimes with remote teams, like we as a company, we meet company-wide every single day at the same time. Uh, which is getting harder and harder. We've got nearly 25, 26 staff now. And you can imagine hauling 25, 20 people, 25 people together um, day after day can be interesting, but it's important for us because, and then not everyone has to make it. We also have clashes and other things come up, but anyone that makes it along every single day updates for 15 seconds on what they did through the day and any wins they had that were contributing towards their weekly goals or their monthly goals that they've set. So I would say there's almost a ritual in that for us. It's a ritual of every day you are meeting. And sure, you don't have a win every day. So often it's just updating people on what progress you had and who you met with that day and what was going on. But there are definitely opportunities within that, that during that ritual, you are able to update every single person in that team in your entire company on, hey, I just did this today and it's super exciting. And these people helped me with it or everyone here helped me with it or 
kudos to this person over here for getting that done. I think that's a good chance to bring everyone together, but it's not always feasible, you know, that often. Setting some importance around check-ins is important because or else you lose people in a remote team. You know, they, they're sitting either at working from home or they're working from a remote office somewhere and unless they get checked in with and unless they get some also acknowledgement of what they're doing, they just lose. Yeah, all of a sudden they're just working for some computer somewhere else. Yeah. Now, we haven't really chatted about MEQ. So tell me a little bit about and tell our audience about what it is MEQ do and, and kind of why. What are you guys trying to achieve? The why is probably the big one to touch on first. It's there is a lot of subjectivity and unknowns in the quality and the processing of the of red meat, firstly, around the world. So knowing that, MEQ started up as a small-scale company looking to develop and build a, a hot carcass grading technology for beef and lamb. So being able to tell processes, producers, and consumers the eating quality or the, or the marketing of that particular animal while it was still just recently slaughtered within an abattoir you know we were aiming for it to be the world's first uh, way to measure an animal at that stage within the process and we achieved that we got it in beef and lamb we were the world's first way to do it and we still are which is super exciting world's first accredited way we had a lot of hoops to jump to get to there we've been going for about six years now and i've been a part of the role for about four and a half so as the first full-time employee we have expanded our kind of outreach or our goal to rather than just be tackling that, you'd say our mission statement is reimagining the red meat industry, which is pretty ambitious, but we've got a few other commercial solutions out there now, which are using all sorts of different technology. Our core technology, the hot carcass grading, uses lasers and machine learning. We use images on cold carcasses, so that's image analysis technology. We use ultrasound technology on live animals. So we're starting to just broaden our scope on what else is possible to remove human influence and guarantee eating experience for the global red meat industry? So it's pretty exciting. And then there's not just red meats, there's a lot of other meats out there. So we've got a pretty big scope as a company and a pretty big part of the world that we feed a lot of people and there's a lot of protein out there. So there's no real limit to where we could go with it. I was going to ask on that. So like previously, it was just, it was a human or several humans in every single meat processing facility that would stand there and go, based on the Australian standards, this one is that type of quality. Yeah, exactly. So labor is a huge thing. Are you guys taking away a job or is it just like actually upskilling someone who's doing that? There's a few parts. I would say our core technology, the hot carcass grading, uh, we haven't automated it yet. Keyword would be yet. It does require some parts of a labor unit. We know like the labor issue is just such a massive hurdle for anything out there that requires at least a full labor unit. That's where it starts to become a really difficult conversation unless you're giving back more value than what a full labor unit requires. Even then sometimes, no matter what value you're bringing back, a labor unit is just a hurdle that can't be overcome. That's how, and I would say six months ago, we were at that stage. There was processes out there that just regardless, it doesn't matter how much you pay someone, they just couldn't, couldn't come up with a labor unit. But also, interestingly, some of the ways that hot carcass grading impacts the supply chain from there onwards can actually reduce labor units elsewhere within the plant. So that's a focus that we put on. And it's also improving workflow and consistency for sure. It's definitely not 100% focused into labor units. We know that we know that our technology is only a part of a labor unit. So pretty much everywhere that we install it, we focus on getting someone existing there to to just use six six more seconds of their time in their workflow to to go and use our technology. 
So that's pretty important to us. And it's pretty, pretty important to processes, very important processes, actually. Yeah, for sure. One thing I've been thinking about as we've been chatting, I'll be interested in this because I feel like it would be of interest to lots of younger people probably listening. But so you haven't actually completed a university degree. Is it something that plays on your mind a little bit when people talk about career progression and all of that stuff down the track? I don't think there's any way for it to not come to your mind, you know, when you see traditional companies often can even introduce some of the people within their executive team as, you know, oh, this is X, Y, and Z, and they've got a bachelor in this or, you know, a bachelor in agribusiness back in 1852. And as a young person looking at that, you can, as much as you would like to think sometimes that the, uh, I guess, the accreditation of what your degree is, as much as you would like to think that your experience can stem on and build on from that a lot more. It can be daunting to feel like you don't have that piece of paper backing you up. I don't think it, it definitely doesn't weigh heavily on my mind. I've had so much support and I guess opportunities within the industry to not have to be too concerned about it. But at the same time, it's definitely like I always want to learn. So, and I, uh, it's probably finding the right degree that allows me to continue gaining experience in a workplace while feeling like I am. Yeah, learning and getting bang for buck for what I'm seeing within a university or a tertiary education. It's funny, isn't it? Like, I think there is definite merit in it, but at the same time too, once you're into the workforce and building it, it actually doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Like, especially in the role that you're in now, there's absolutely no benefit that going and studying a agribusiness degree is really going to enhance in your role. Like, I think there'll be lateral learnings and whatnot, but it's like in the actual day-to-day stuff, a degree is not going to change your ability to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, yeah, I'll never knock university to that extent in terms of saying, oh, you'll just never need it. So why would you ever do it? It's because it definitely teaches people how to study, learn, record memory. And a lot of the time it is regurgitating knowledge as well, which that's not to say that's not actually helpful in the industry. It can be quite helpful. Learning up on clients and then being able to regurgitate that knowledge back to them can be extremely valuable and letting people know that you know about them. That's hard to actually measure the value that you can get out of that. So yeah, university is good. Sometimes I just I feel like some courses or universities might have taken the wrong direction on exactly how to train people up to be world ready rather than book ready. Yeah. Well, I reckon that's a pretty good little conduit to a question I ask everyone that comes on and it's, you would have answered this a hundred times over. What's your advice to year 10 students today of why they should pursue a career in agriculture? It's, well, there's so many, like, like do we have another hour here or, you know? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> we, <laughs> I don't know, just, I think to sum it up, I think the more you learn about agriculture, the more your eyes open to how Agriculture actually, in my opinion, spans a majority of the entire other careers that are actually out there in the world. There is not a whole lot that doesn't involve to some level agriculture, or at least agriculture also doesn't have. Let's just say you go to a lawyer. There are also there are aspects. You can be an agricultural lawyer. If you're an engineer, you can be an ag engineer. If you want to work within research, you can do R&D within agriculture. I'm just it's very interesting to me to see how agriculture has these broad outreaches that a lot of people, when you see, when you hear agriculture, especially as a year 10 student, for me as well, going through year 10, I always thought that, well, didn't always think it, but I, I would commonly think that agriculture is, is being back on the farm. And are you an agronomist or are you a farmer or what else are you doing? And that was probably where I fell short. I didn't have 
anyone exactly opening my eyes to the fact that agriculture involved thousands of careers. It's you don't have to love cattle to go and work within agriculture. There's jobs out there that can pretty much get anyone and everyone excited to get out of bed in the morning. And honestly, as well, there's always the chance to. Uh, I love agriculture because you have the real chance to feel like you are helping develop, feed, and improve the world around you rather than just keeping the world running, I guess, there's, which is great. I think it's, that's also that's meaningful, but uh, I think if people want something to chase that can give them some real, I guess, reward for their work, I'd say agriculture will be the industry to chase there and there's a lot of opportunity. I agree. And the question I was going to ask before this one, but so off the back of that, you've probably partially answered it, but for someone who, and I'll use the words, they might be slightly wrong, but fell out of love with agriculture and has refound that. What is it today for you that is keeping you involved, but I guess has reignited that love and is making you really passionate and excited about the future? I think it's a great question because obviously, yeah, it is, it's all well and good to fall back in love with something, but if you don't have a way to keep that marriage going, you'll quickly find a pretty, pretty easy way to divorce agriculture quite quickly. So <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, you wouldn't, I'll never sell it as an industry that is uh, all smooth sailing or no, not, not that I think there is, to be honest, but there's definitely hurdles and challenges that come along with the risks. You know, there's, there's a lot of gain to be had and there's also a lot of risk to be had. In feeding the world, you're also fighting with climate, you're fighting with environment, you're fighting with supply and demand and everything else that goes alongside that with changing consumer opinion. And there's a myriad of challenges to it. But I would say what for me personally, especially with my role within ag technology, Traditionally, people might not have said that that's within agriculture. You know, I'm in business development, selling technology to red meat processors and trying to help the red meat processing industry improve and learn and develop. A lot of people, and I wouldn't have, when I was in year 10, wouldn't have said that's in agriculture. I would have said that was in some other field, which is very interesting. And I think what excites me about it is the fact that I can see the real impact that I'm having day to day on the way that we feed the world. And that, that's a very simplistic and broad overview of it, but I can see the impact that I'm having on on, on real people. It's not just numbers on a sheet or anything like that. It's, uh, for me, you know, for MEQ, you know, we're so focused on quality of meat and the consumer experience. That's a very easy way for me to look at and go, all right, I'm, I'm literally helping the world develop the first way ever to measure this in in real time especially on the on the sheep side we've developed technology that is the world's first and only way to sell to the consumer high quality lamb that's guaranteed it's like we've just invented wagyu for lamb and that's you know for me being able to see that that's pretty cool that's uh, pretty exciting it's unreal i think there's a team of 20 25 of you that are, are working on that and are actually pushing it through like you're really making the impact is perpetual like you just don't even know how big it can be Exactly. There's the sky's the limit. We've even just had Coles have released a Coles Finest Lamb brand based 100% off our measurement. So there's literally lamb out there in in retail, giant retailers around Australia that are selling off our measurement for once. And Coles have never been able to do that before. So they're now able to guarantee to the customer that you're going to love this lamb. It's going to taste amazing. Look out for the next Australian lamb ad. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. We might be might have a probe somewhere in there. Yeah, we'll have to get that in front of Sam Kekovich. But, mate, thanks for joining us. I think we could always chat for so much longer, but thank you for coming and having a bit of a yarn. I know we've shuffled it a couple of times. I'm pretty sure I'm the one to blame on every single one of those, so apologies about that. But it's uh, it's good to finally sit down and record this one. 
No, this is a, it's a good chance. And I've been following HOA for pretty much since inception back in the day. So I love it. And I think this is, this is the way to go on, on, and what you're doing is the way to go on educating. And it's pretty much doing what I would have loved to have done, especially back in 2019 and 2020 when I was promoting a lot of this where I could. It's, uh, you've pretty much just nailed it on the head. So good on you. Oh, never too late to join us. (laughs) (laughs) No poaching. If you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. If you can head up, there's quite a few of you that are listening, but you're not actually following. Wherever you're listening to the app, hit follow. Give us a little rating if you like as well. Five stars sounds pretty good, but give us your honest feedback. If you've got any ideas, hit us up at podcasts at humansofagriculture.com. Send us a message on the socials. We're all ears when it comes to ideas, guests, and while we're traveling, we might be able to grab a few people on the fly. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and looking forward to catching up with you all soon. See ya.